All right, well, this morning we're going to be in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. So if you have Bible, I invite you to, to open up to 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is our final week in 2 Timothy. We've been, uh, over the last couple months, working our way through Paul's final letter that he has written, um, written near the end of his life. You can see his death just around the corner. Um, he is, in a very real sense, in this book, passing the baton. He's wanting to do all that he can to make sure that the, the next generation of the church not just endures, but actually flourishes as they go forth living out the mission that Jesus has given to them. And I, I love the heart of Paul in this passage because Paul, his, his primary concern as, as he is in prison, and he's facing death, it isn't to, to escape what he's, he's facing. Instead, it is to be faithful and to set others up for success. He has a heart to tell other people about Jesus. That's his mission that Jesus has given to him. And that is a concern that, that really saturates every single thing that Paul does. It also saturates every single word that Paul writes here in this book. And as we look at these final words in verses 9 through 22 of, of 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to see that that's the same concern. It's the same focus. Even though this is a, a bit of an unorthodox passage, it, it's just a really, in a real sense, it's closing words. He's, he's passing along some greetings. He's, he's giving a couple updates on, on people who are doing mission work. He's, he's uh, asking Timothy to come and visit him. And yet, even in the midst of that, we see that this heart, this desire to honor Jesus is shining through. In fact, it'd be really easy for us to, to gloss over these words, to, to gloss over these verses. But even here, we see Paul's priorities and even his perspective as he is facing his final days of following Jesus. So that's really what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to look at his priorities as well as his perspective in following Jesus. And as we look at this passage, the one thing that we're going to see really is just going to boil down simply to this. Paul wants us to remain confident in Jesus' presence now and forevermore. That's the heart of these verses. Remain confident in Jesus' presence now and forevermore. This is true in what Paul is writing, verses 16 through 18. He says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, over the course of your life, you are going to walk into various seasons where it is going to be easy for you to doubt the presence of God. In fact, your circumstances as you enter into these seasons may seem to actually be proof positive that God is nowhere to be found, that he has actually abandoned you is some language that we might feel. That we find ourselves in a situation where we feel powerless to help ourselves, to help those who are around us, and that's the case for Paul here. As Paul is writing this, he is powerless to change his circumstances. He's powerless to stop people from abandoning him. He's powerless to release himself from prison. And yet, even in the midst of that moment, as he's facing this Roman execution, his confidence in Jesus' presence, it never wavers. As we look at this text, that's, that's really what I want us to see as well, for us to cultivate in our lives. This isn't just a confidence 
in Jesus' presence now for Paul, but it's also a confidence in what lies ahead for Paul as he is facing death, that even then that Jesus is going to be present with him because of what Jesus has done for Paul. As we look at this passage, I hope that we also take away from this that if we are faithful to the end, and if we are, are persevering to the end, if we are clinging to Jesus, that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us because of what he has done for us. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to verse 9. We're going to read the entire text before working through it. Paul writes this, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring a cloak I left with Carpus at Troas, along with the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Greek Prisca and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained in Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends his greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Well, as we work our way through this passage, I really just want us to consider it in three sections. The first one is verses 9 through 15. In these verses, we see as Paul is giving this final command to Timothy, he's giving a little bit of a ministry update on, on some of the men that they worked with in ministry. Really what we see, what it boils down to is Paul's priorities. We have Paul's priorities here on display right before he is dying. Notice how he starts his letter all the way back at the very beginning of this book. In verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul is expressing his heart. And what he says is this, I, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. So he starts by describing this longing to see Timothy. And now we get to not just a longing, but actually a command. He says, hey, Timothy, I want you to do your best to come to me soon. That's how this passage starts. So everything in verses 9 through 15 really is this subsidiary to this command, this request. Come as soon as you possibly can. And I find Paul's request here, Timothy, really quite fascinating and instructive because as, as much as Paul remains confident in Jesus, he, he remains confident that Jesus is with him. He isn't a Lone Ranger Christian, is he? He, he recognizes that he can't do this on his own. We saw a, a few moments ago, Paul is almost completely alone. That people have, have abandoned him or he has, he has sent them out to do gospel ministry throughout the Roman Empire. And as Paul is facing the prospect of death for the sake of Jesus, Paul, very clearly, he doesn't want to do it alone. 
That's why he says, hey, Timothy, I want you to come, if you can, come as soon as you can. You're my closest friend. I want you to make this long journey to Rome so that I don't have to face these final hours on my own. This is really quite the request because it would have taken a couple months for the letter carrier to get to Ephesus from Rome, where Paul is and where Timothy is. And then, even if Timothy left right away, it would have taken a couple months for him to get back to Rome. And there's no guarantee that Paul is going to be alive by the time that Timothy gets to Rome. So why is Paul making this request? Well, Paul knows the value of Christian community. He knows how essential brothers and sisters in Christ are to helping us spur one another on, to living out the gospel faithfully. In his previous arrest, we see that at the end of Acts chapter 28, at the end of Acts chapter 28, Paul goes before, he has his first trial, his first defense, which he mentions again here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and then it's over two years before he is finally released, before a verdict is reached. So Paul knows that this, even though he sees death is around the corner, he doesn't believe that he's going to be released from prison, he does see or, or anticipate this taking quite a long time because the Roman judicial system takes quite a while. And he doesn't know how much time he has, but he wants to use that time wisely. And says, so he says to himself, hey, you know what I want to do? I want to make sure that I do this in community. That I do this with other Christians. And I'm not doing this on my own. And it's almost as if Paul is longing for Timothy to come join him so that they can live out Hebrews chapter 10 together. Hebrews chapter 10 talks about persevering in the faith, enduring, even in the midst of hardship and struggle. And in the midst of that chapter, we see this powerful statement about the value of doing that with other people. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So it's like Paul is saying to Timothy, I want you to come to Rome as soon as you can so that I don't have to do this alone, so you don't have to do this alone. And that's the beauty of the church. That's the beauty of God's plan for us to be in community, to, to live the Christian life with other people. One of the enemy's greatest assets is isolating Christians from one another. This is where discouragement comes from, disillusionment, even despair can come when we remove ourselves from fellowship with other believers. Here we see even the spiritual giant, the Apostle Paul, he doesn't want to face death alone. He wants to do it with someone else. And there's no contradiction here between Paul saying, I am completely confident, completely content in the presence of Jesus alone, and yet I still want to make as good of a use as I possibly can of his gift, which is the church. So Timothy, come to me as soon as you can. Now after he, he gives this request, he follows up the urgency of this request uh, because he is completely uh, alone. He describes why he is alone. And he starts by listing all of these different people that were once with him in Rome and no longer are. First he starts with someone who has abandoned him, and then others that he has actually sent out. Let's look at this man named Demas first. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So what's going on here? I think as, as the temperature is being turned up on Paul, and, and he's facing suffering and persecution, he's facing this likely execution, 
Demas actually falters. He stumbles and he runs. In fact, he's not all that unlike the disciples at the arrest of Jesus. Here we see Demas and his heart is captured by the world. And for Demas, the thought of losing the world was too much. And so he ran. Likely he runs back to his hometown. And, and there's this incredibly powerful contrast here in these verses of what it looks like to be faithful to the end. As we talk about faithfulness to Jesus, what it actually means to be faithful, we have Demas on one hand who falters and runs because of a love for this present world. But just before that, just a couple of verses before this, we have Paul describing those who will be faithful to the end. Notice what Paul says in verse 8. Contrasting Demas' love for this present world, Paul is describing those who will be faithful to the end. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have, what? Loved his appearing. So on the one hand, we have those who love, who long for the appearing of Jesus, for the return of Christ. And on the other hand, we have someone like Demas, whose life is controlled by this love of the present world. And because of that, because of Paul mentioning this, we actually have the opportunity to examine our own hearts, to see what it is that the primary love that has captured our hearts as well. If we are going to be faithful to the end, then our hearts must be captured by not this present world, but a longing for the return of Jesus. Paul actually is saying, by, by putting this contrast here, he says, you're either going to love this present world, or you're going to love his return. And there's no middle ground. One of those two is going to capture your heart. James, as he is writing to the church, puts it even more strongly in James chapter 4. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There's no middle ground here. You will either be a friend of God and an enemy of the world, or an enemy of God and a friend of this world. And as we look at this, as we look at Paul's priorities here, we have to ask ourselves, what about us? What about me? Do I love his appearing, or do I love this present world? Here's the thing about demons. Demas is mentioned a couple other times in the New Testament. Demas is mentioned at the end of Colossians. He actually is helping Paul write. Or he's, he's, he's not writing Colossians with Paul. He's ministering with Paul while the book of Colossians is written. And Paul passes along these greetings from Demas to the church at Colossae. So here is this man who, while things were going smoothly, and I even want to back up a little bit more, because Colossians was written while Paul was in prison. So even while Paul was in prison a different time, Demas is remaining faithful with him, and yet things weren't bad enough for him to abandon Jesus. But now as the, the temperature continues to get ratcheted up, and it's harder and harder, and he sees that Paul's execution is just right around the corner, he, he has to choose. He, he can't have this present world, and he can't have Jesus as well. And so the thing that has his heart, his primary love, wins out. 
Instead of choosing Jesus, he chooses the present world. He ran from Jesus because of his greater love. Here's the thing about Paul. The same thing could be said about Paul. Not that he abandons Jesus, but just like Demas, his greater love wins out. Even though that means that he is going to be in prison, that means that he is going to be facing execution, the greater love of the Apostle Paul, a love for and a longing for Jesus' return, it wins out. That's confidence. In Jesus' presence, it never fades. You know, this isn't the first time that the Apostle Paul has been abandoned by one of his co-workers. As we look back at the book of Acts, decades before this moment, Paul is on his first missionary journey, and, and he's, he's traveling with, with Barnabas. And they're going through modern-day Turkey, and they're planting these churches, telling people about Jesus. And while on that journey, one of their co-workers, one of the people that they brought along to minister with them, actually abandons them. As they're facing hardship and persecution, this young man, his name is Mark, he actually runs from Jesus and goes back home to Jerusalem. A few years later, Paul is about to go out on a second missionary journey with, the, uh, with his friend Barnabas, and they're planning this journey, and, and Barnabas wants to give Mark a second chance. Mark wants to come again, and Barnabas is, is advocating for him, and, and Paul is absolutely refusing. Neither of them moves an inch. And, and the book of Acts actually tells us this is a no sharp disagreement, which is uh, probably Bible speak for a really, really ugly argument. And Paul goes this way, and he takes Silas, and Barnabas goes this way, and he brings Mark. And here we have this picture of, of Paul, and, and he refuses to trust this young man named Mark because he has abandoned him in his ministry. But then we get to this book, decades later, and right after Paul is mentioned that, that Demas has, has abandoned him, Paul brings up his friend Mark. Notice what he says, Luke alone is with me, get Mark, bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. And I, I love this verse. This is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, because it gives me hope. It, it gives me hope that I am not defined by my past failures. That the ways that I have messed up and been unfaithful in the past do not determine my future and my ability to serve Jesus in the future. Here we are, decades later, Mark has proved himself faithful time and time again. He eventually writes the Gospel of Mark. Over these decades, Paul, he's got these rougher edges and they become softer. He welcomes Mark back into fellowship. And now, as he has been abandoned by so many people, Paul is saying, you know what, as I'm facing death, I want to see Mark again. And it's not because I want to reconcile with him. I don't want this deathbed confession. I want him because I know how useful he is 
for ministry. And he wants to pour into Mark just like he has poured into Timothy as he is carrying the banner forward for the future generations of the church. That Mark, he may have stumbled out of the starting block, but now he is counted among the faithful. And Paul wants to give him a charge just like he has given Timothy a charge as well for the future of the church. That he longs to see Timothy and he, he longs to see Mark for the future of the church. So we have Demas who has abandoned Paul, Mark who has been brought back into fellowship with Paul. In between the two of these, at the end of, of verse 10, we have a list of all of these other people that are out on gospel ministry. Paul, uh, we're not going to look at specifics of where they're at, but Paul is continuing to send these people out because his priority is on the gospel. It's on the mission. And he says, you know what, there are people that are needed, that need to hear the, the name of Jesus in Galatia, and so I'm going to send someone there. There are people that need to hear the name of Jesus in, in Dalmatia, so I'm going to send someone there, even if it means that all the, the, the only person that's left with me is Luke. His priority is on the spread of the gospel. And we get to verse 13. That's another fascinating verse here. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas along with the books and above all the parchments. This is, again, a, a fascinating request here from Paul. Apparently, when Paul was arrested, he was carrying with him some books and some personal notes that he had been taking on the scriptures as he has been studying them. And he left them as he is getting arrested with this man in Troas. And Troas is on the way back from Ephesus to Rome. And so he's saying, hey, hey, Timothy, on your way to come to me, I want you to stop and grab my cloak. I want you to grab my coat because winter's coming and it's going to be cold. But then I want you to grab my books. And I want you to grab my, my personal notes. I want you to bring them with you to me. Here's Paul, and he's at the end of his life, and, he, and he's not done learning about Jesus yet. This, this is amazing that he wants these books so that way he can continue to learn about Jesus. However little his time may be, he wants to devote it to following Jesus, knowing more about who Jesus is. Charles Spurgeon has a famous quote about this text, about this request from the Apostle Paul. He says this, Paul is inspired and yet he wants books. He's been preaching at least for 30 years and yet he wants books. He has seen the Lord, and yet he wants books. He has a far wider experience than most men, and yet he wants books. He'd been caught up into the third heaven, and yet he wants books. He's written a major part of the New Testament, and yet he wants books. The apostle Timothy says, the apostle says to Timothy, and so he says to every preacher, give yourself to reading. Long for books. And this verse, this, this phrase, again, it, it causes us to reflect on ourselves. See, not only does Paul long for fellowship with other believers, but also in his request for his books and, and for his notes, we see his priorities again, that he's not satisfied with where he is in his walk with Jesus. Ask yourself, when's the last time that you read a book? 
Not just a fiction book, but a book that actually helped you in your faith, in your walk with Jesus. The Apostle Paul saw the value of these not as something that replaced Scripture by any means. Notice he says, above all, the parchments. Above all, my personal notes as I've been studying the Bible. But God uses these things to draw us nearer to him, to help us grow. When's the last time you read a book? Paul closes this first section with this warning about this man named Alexander. Alexander is probably the same Alexander that's mentioned in the beginning of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, Paul is saying that there's these two men that have caused a lot of trouble in the church in Ephesus. I want you to stay away from them. And one of them's named Alexander. He said, hey, you know what? I, I want you to stay away from them because they are opposed to the gospel message. If they've been opposed to the gospel message for me, they're going to be opposed to the gospel message for you. So I want you to be focused on the gospel. By doing so, you will endure. By doing so, you will remain faithful. That's Paul's priorities here. Even at the end of his life, to continue pressing on to know Jesus. But it's not just Paul's priorities that we see in this passage. We also see Paul's perspective. That's the focus of verses 16 through 18, Paul's perspective. Take a look at these verses again. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice Paul's perspective here. Even though Paul is alone, he, he confesses he's not actually really alone. Notice the parallels here between verse 16 and verse 17. No one came to stand by me in verse 16, and yet in verse 17, the Lord stood by me. So even though he is alone... He's not really alone. He's been abandoned by all of his peers, and that hurts, but it doesn't stop Paul from being faithful to his calling because Jesus remains with him. And in actuality, this is the moment that Paul's entire life has been building toward. It's really quite fascinating. There's only just a couple verses here at the end of 2 Timothy that Paul's longing is to bring the gospel into the imperial courts themselves. And here in this moment, we get the moment, this thing that Paul has been longing for. Can you imagine how intimidating this would be? To be abandoned by all of your friends and to be thrown into the imperial courts. And Paul makes it very clear he didn't do this because of his own strength, but that God himself gave him the strength to do this task. And God does the exact same thing for us. Whatever task God calls us to, God will also give us the strength to accomplish. Whatever task God calls you to, he will give you the strength to accomplish that task. If he is calling you to share the gospel with your neighbor or with your coworker or with a classmate, and if that terrifies you, he will give you the strength to do it. If you feel like God is calling you to be more welcoming and inviting into your home, but you are terrified at the prospect of opening your home up because of how messy it is, 
God will give you the strength to do it. If God is calling you to be more generous with your finances and you have no idea how you are going to make ends meet, God will give you the strength to do it. It's not strength that we find in ourselves. It's not strength that we cultivate by by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. God will give us the strength because Jesus is with us. You see, Paul is is recounting this moment. He's looking back. He's reflecting upon this first trial that just took place. But he's also expressing his his perspective on, on future circumstances. He's saying, you know what? Jesus rescued me from death at that first trial when he says, rescued me from the lion's mouth. And and he also says, the Lord will rescue me when I face eternal death because of what Jesus has done for me. That in the life to come, I don't have to worry about eternal death because Jesus is going to welcome me into his kingdom. That even though everyone else has abandoned me, Jesus will not abandon me. That I will not be put to shame in the presence of Jesus. So here we see the first chunk of this passage is is about his priorities. Second is his perspective. And then we kind of have a benediction here at the end. First, uh, the final few verses, just a collection of greetings. He's saying, hey, Timothy, I want you to tell people hi for me. Or these people are saying hi to you. That's his focus here in the final few verses. So let's go ahead and and close up 2 Timothy chapter 4. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come to me before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. So as we consider this benediction here, I want us to do it in, in two parts. First, these, these are Paul's final recorded words, and, and second, I want us to, to look at them because they really hold the key for us as we consider what does it actually mean for us to remain faithful to the end. So Paul, first he, he, he's addressing Timothy, and he uses this blessing here, he says, the Lord be with your spirit. So this is a, a, a word directly to Timothy. Timothy, the Lord be with your spirit. It's just a, a longer version of the common blessing, the Lord be with you. And what Paul is saying is, hey, Timothy, I've asked you to come quickly. I've asked you to, to come to Rome and join me. But, but even if you leave, the moment you get this Letter. It's still going to be months before you get here. There's a, there's a chance that I won't get to tell you this in person. So I want you to hold on to this truth. I want you to hold on to this blessing. I want you to hold on to this key to remaining faithful. He says, the Lord be with you. The presence of Jesus is the key to remaining faithful. He's like, Timothy, this is the North Star that has helped me Endure all of the suffering, and endure all of the hardship, all of the persecutions, the beatings, the stonings. Throughout my ministry, Jesus has been with me. 
that Jesus has never left me, that I can be confident in the presence of Jesus this entire time, that he is not going to abandon me, that the one who began a good work in me is faithful to bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ, that the God who saved me when I was his enemy will not leave me or forsake me now that I am his son. The Lord be with your spirit. It's a word on the presence of Jesus. Second, Paul addresses the entire church. So the first chunk here, the Lord be with your spirit, that's singular, your. This grace be with you, the you here is plural. So what he's, now he's addressing the entire church in Ephesus, and he's saying if the church is going to endure another generation, if it's going to be faithful, if it's going to continue its mission beyond me and beyond the people that are with me, then it will solely be because of the grace of God. That it is the grace of God that will help us to endure. And so Paul in, in charging, he's not just charging Timothy, he's in charging the entire church to faithfulness in the gospel, and he says, grace be with you. And it's that grace that enables us to remain faithful to the end. It's that grace of Jesus that helps us to remain confident in God's presence, now and forever. It's not because of what we're doing. It's not because of, of who we are, but it's because of who Jesus is. And as we end this series, this idea of being faithful to the end, it is this grace that forces us to examine our hearts. It forces us to look at our lives, to see if our priorities are aligned with someone like Paul, this man who is faithful to the end, even when everyone has abandoned him. What's more is this grace of the gospel that strengthens us, enables us to live out obedience to the gospel. This book, these four chapters, they are a plea with us. No matter your age, no matter how long you have been following Jesus, to remain faithful to the end. To not stumble across the finish line, to sprint with thunderous applause of heaven. To be faithful to the end, that you would be faithful to the end. And it's because of the grace of Jesus that you can do just that. It's not because of any mysterious quality of your own, but it's because of faithfulness that is rooted in Jesus' faithfulness. That you can be faithful to the end because Jesus has been faithful to the uttermost. Grace be with you. God has given us this charge, and He has given us His presence to see that charge to completion. Let's be a people who are faithful to the end. Let's pray. Father, it is our prayer that you would help us to be faithful, to help us to endure, 
to have the priorities that we see from the Apostle Paul here in these verses. Be so focused on your kingdom, so focused on the church, on building up and pouring into the next generation. God, we first say, forgive us for the times where we haven't had those priorities, where we haven't had that same mindset and focus. God, through your presence, we ask that you would help us, that you would strengthen us, that you would be glorified in all that we do. Today, tomorrow, and however long you give us. That we would not love this present world, but that we would love and long for your return. It's in Jesus' name we pray.